Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And this is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Maybe seated. I want to talk as directly and simply as I can today about what I think is the most important reason why any of us has come to church. I've called it knowing God personally. Isn't that what it's about? Is that why you've come? 
to really know the God who made the universe in, in a personal way, for me, that's the heart of this Christian faith. Everything else flows out of that. That's where it all starts. As I was getting ready to talk to you about this, that part of it, this personal knowledge of God, where we know him as our father, the same God that Moses worshipped. I thought of a, a conversation I had with a group of Christian college students just a few months ago. Sitting down with them on a, in an evening before board meetings, and as I was talking with them, I was talking about this with them, about knowing God personally. And they said, in all the churches we've grown up in, um, and they were churches like Lake Avenue Church, they said our churches said that oh, one of the distinctives about our kind of a church, most of them evangelical churches, is that we talk about the opportunity to have what we call a personal relationship with God. That, that, that we believe that God is someone we can know and spend time with and, and who walks with us. And I affirmed that and I said, did you experience that growing up? And they said to me that even though our churches talked about that, the real focus of the church seemed to them to be just doing programs and putting on performances and certain kind of techniques that churches always do. And that this focus of really knowing God always seemed to be on the back burner. In fact, it became pretty clear to me that they had some pretty significant doubts about whether a local church is really the place to know God more deeply and more personally. And I want you to know that Jesus said, I, I'm giving my life for the church. And he gave his life so that we could enter into a relationship with the God for whom we were made. And I am deeply convinced that our church, if we will be the church that God would have us to be, is the place that he has planted here so that you and I can know him in an ever more personal way. All right, so I'm going to assume something today. I'm going to assume that each one of us who has come has actually come because we want to get to know God better. I'm, I'm going to assume that you didn't come today simply because somebody forced you to. So even if somebody forced you to, I'm just going to assume that you really have come here because if God is there, you want to know him more personally. Now, when I think about that, and I've tried to think about us because we're all so different, aren't we? I just know that there are some people who come to Lake who haven't grown up in a church and just don't know all that much. And you need to know more about God. Because you and I can't really know him. We can't know anybody unless we know something about that person. So we've got to know what he said about himself. But at the same time, I've often thought maybe our bigger problem with the church like ours, because many of you are more like me. You feel like you've been in church your whole life. I remember I complained to my parents once, why don't we just set up a hammock in that place? We're there more than we're at home. Maybe you're like me, and you know a whole lot about God. But you know you can know a lot about and not know. You know that's true, don't you? We can know a lot about a person, we can know a lot about God, and not have a personal knowledge of him. We don't really have a good word for it in English. Most languages do. Even German has the word wissen, to just know about, and kennen, to really know personally. I want to talk about the knowing personally today. And that's why I want to come back to this Exodus 3 text. Because I think that it can be a tremendous teacher to us. Because I see Moses as being a person a whole lot like us. You know, he had, by God's providence, we saw the story last week, had the opportunity to grow up, even though it was paid for by Pharaoh. <laughs> he got, got to grow up in his own Israelite home. And it's pretty clear to me when I read about him that he knew a lot about God. This one, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He knew a whole lot about God. But it's also very clear to me 
that even though he knew a lot about God, he had never met God personally. And what we have happening in this text is he goes from knowing about to knowing. So that's what I want to think about. Don't you think that's worth coming to church to think about? And I hope you'll just stick with me because I don't know that there's anything more important for us to do than to think about this topic. I want to start with what he knew about God, some of the things. And, and I think that some of that's recorded. Remember I said Exodus is the sequel. It's recorded in the first book, in the book of Genesis. It's just affirmed here. So we're going to think about what he knew about. And then I'm going to think about this journey that takes us from just knowing about him intellectually in our heads into knowing him personally. So let, let's start there. What do we learn about God from this famous burning bush incident? Now remember, when we meet him in, in Exodus 3, just about 40 years have passed since Moses had tried to be that hero and he had killed an Egyptian and had to flee in shame in, into the wilderness called Midian. And uh, when he was there, one day on the far side of a wilderness in a desolate place called Horeb, God breaks into his life. And what happens is many things that I think he had been taught about God in his family, he came to see were true. Well, what, what are some of those things? Like what, you might ask? One, I'll, I'll list them here, that God is powerful. That God is in control of everything. He is in control of all of creation. Like what, you might ask? Like a bush and like fire. Because he saw that a bush was burning and it did not burn out. And of course, this is so consistent with everything he had learned about God and then was recorded in the first book of Moses, of Genesis, that when God spoke in Genesis 1, everything came into being. There is nothing outside of his creative power and of his control. And for the rest of his life, if he was going to know God personally and be able to trust God, he was going to have to know this, that God had power over everything. Like what? Well, like bushes, because bushes don't, have you noticed, don't usually burn without being consumed? Yet that's no problem for God. What else? You, you, you know the story, many of you, if you don't, you have to read the book of Exodus. Like uh, rivers turning into blood. That doesn't usually happen, you know. Like frogs. They don't usually invade a nation, do they? Do we have a big military force against frogs? Like, like gnats, they aren't usually formed out of a dust storm. Like seas, they don't usually just part and form walls so that people can pass through them. But God, throughout the book of Exodus, is going to do all those things. And he's going to tell Moses he's going to do all those things. And Moses had to know that with God, nothing was impossible. Had to move from knowing about to knowing. Okay, second, that God is not dependent on anything, including Moses. Verse 2, the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. Now, I don't even have to be a Caltech scientist to know that usually fire needs fuel, right? And yet this one didn't seem to need any fuel. It was self-existent. It was not dependent upon anything at all. And yet everything else in creation is dependent upon other things. The way God created the world, Moses had learned this, is that everything depends upon everything else. 
It, it, we live in an interdependent world. I mean, we learn this from childhood on, so dependent upon our children. But later on in life, we continue to learn it. So everything in this world is sort of tied together. No person is an island, John Donne would say. And so in this, everything is dependent upon something else in some way, but not God. Um, there's a great theological word, aseity, A-S-E-I-T-Y. Uh, so you learn a theological term in church. It just means that God is self-existent. And what Moses is going to have to learn is that it is a privilege to serve God. And it is a grace from God to serve him. But that God's going to get his work done. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn that. There's a work God's going to do in this community and in this world. And God's going to do it. And it's just a blessing when, if he uses us to do it, Moses would have to learn. Go from knowing about to knowing. Third thing, that he would have to learn that God is greater than our minds can grasp. Look in verse 2. A voice speaks out of the bush, and it's called the angel of the Lord. I won't go deeply into this. Some of you have studied this. The angel of the Lord appears a number of times in the Old Testament. But there are other angels. But, but other angels, when they speak, always deliver a message from God. Uh, this angel, starting with verse 4, when he speaks, is God. This is mind-boggling. This angel, the angel of the Lord, is not the Father, Jehovah God, and yet somehow is God. One with, but somehow different. Is this confusing for anyone? I'll just tell you that the God who made this world is greater than our minds can put into any of our intellectual or philosophical boxes. And this is something also that Moses had learned from the time that he was young and then would record in Genesis chapter 1 that there is one God who created the heavens and the earth, but when it came to creating people, this one God would describe himself as being more than one. The one God would say, let us make human beings in our image. It's the same kind of thing the New Testament's even going to make clearer, where there is one God, but always existing in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Try to explain that to a six-year-old. Try to explain it to yourself. And you'll just see that the moment we think that God can be put into any of our systematic boxes, he will break out of it every time. And so what Moses is going to have to learn is that even though God breaks into his life personally, there's always more about God to be learned. And that's what I want you to learn too. You don't say, well, I've already read that once. No, don't you notice every time you come back to it, there's something new God teaches us about himself. Even at the end of the book of Exodus, Exodus 33 and 34, Moses would say, still say, tell me your name, tell me your name again, I'll ask you. And God had even more to tell him about himself. You would have to learn that, going from knowing about to knowing. Fourth, that God is holy. Uh, in this episode, God appears, as he so often does, as fire. And fire is a wonderful thing. I think I told you. In, I loved it even more in Chicago than I do in California. In Chicago, it gets so cold. It was a wonderful thing to be But you don't want to get too close to it. And we learn that, don't we, when the fires come raging through California. Fire can be beautiful, but it can also burn. And so, Moses would have to learn that that is God. He is holy. And yes, even though there's something beautiful and he is ready to enter into a relationship with us, we are not holy. 
And he had learned from childhood on that from Genesis 3, even though God had meant to walk and talk with people in Genesis 2, people walked away from God and became unholy, and we were not even to look face to face upon God. Only through the veil of a burning bush could he hear the voice of God. And in this, we will have to see that it is a serious thing to open God's word. Do you ever think it's a dangerous thing to listen to a sermon? Don't you think we've done something to church that the Bible could never have conceived of? We've tried to make it safe and entertaining. And God is not safe. He is good, but he is not safe. Moses knew it in his head. Now he's beginning to see it. And it's confirmed. Moses, come close. No, not too close. Take off your sandals. For, for where I am is holy ground. And so that when he commands and speaks, we should respond. But then fifth, finally, he should have known from Genesis 2. He wrote about it when he did the first book. That God is ready to walk and talk with people. The holy God with unholy people. He had done this with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He broke it into their lives. And certainly he had done it before sin entered the world. That's what God, he made us to know him. And God is going to do a work in which we can know him again personally. But centuries had gone on since all that had happened with these forefathers. Centuries had gone on since God had walked and talked with people in the Garden of Eden. And I'm wondering whether even though Moses knew a lot about God, he wondered whether God is really there. And so the time had come for him to go from knowing about to knowing. And that brings me to the second part of the sermon. How do we move from that knowing about, just studying about him and taking tests about him in a class or whatever, to actually knowing God's personally? So again, we'll pull back. Moses was tending sheep out there in this nowhere of a desert wilderness called Midian, and he'd been doing it for 40 years. So when we meet him, what we meet here is a failed, frail, 80-year-old man just sort of eking out an existence with no real direction in his life in an utterly forgotten part of the world. Does that sound like a great life? And one day he goes to Horeb. Do you know what that means? It means the desolate waste. Now, I know we have all sorts of names for things. I grew up in West Virginia. I tell you this, I think, every sermon. We have some great names for towns that characterize what the town is like. For example, we have a town called Odd, West Virginia. And when we go to Odd, do you know what we find out it is? It is Odd. Everything about that town is Odd. Uh, the flies even seem to be Odd. They seem to fly slower than most flies fly. And so that's a horrible, desolate place, and that's what it is. Nothing can happen in that desolate place. But do you remember, there are no God-forsaken places in this universe, and God decided to make himself known there, and everything changes. Horrible, desolate place becomes the mountain of meeting God. And he never forgot it. I'm looking out to see how old we are. Most of us in our 20s, I think. Um, all right. Most of us have lived long enough to know, have somebody that we've loved, fallen in love with. When you fall in love with somebody, don't you always remember that time and place that you met them? Those of us who have gotten married, we can even remember 
the time that we really made that commitment, right? Uh, and the place where that took place. And that's the way it was for Moses. God would confirm it. You're going to come back to this place after you've actually obeyed me. And you're going to remember that I'm in this. This is the mountain on which I met you. Now, that is true of deep, life-changing relationships. And I want you to know that that is generally true of our walk with God. I spent so many of my years in university life, and I'm just telling you, this point that there is a time and place that we actually can meet God scares the willies out of academics. They, this is just scary stuff because we, we usually try to think we have the intellectual piece all together. This thought that God actually meets us in a time and in a place. But I'm telling you throughout the Bible, that's what you find happens. There's a time and place in which we meet him and we move from knowing about to knowing. The New Testament would put it that we'll pass from darkness to life, light, from death into life. Have you had one of those? Moses did. So, I, I, you know, I've, it's been over 50 years since I had that time and place. I'll never forget it. So, so I've been pulling back, thinking about this, what I wanted to say to you. And I've just jotted down a few points. I, I don't know if these will be helpful. I pray they will be. I've prayerfully considered them, so I, th- I think they're from the Lord, so I, I think they will be. But what is it that moves us from just sort of sitting here being observers and, and knowing about things to knowing? And let me mark down four things. Number one. I'll call it the importance of making space in our lives to be with God. The importance of stopping what we're doing for a few moments to make sure that we spend time with God. I talked about this in my Turning Point series in verses 1 through 4. He was doing, Moses was doing what he always does, just tending those sheep, busy with that, that life at that point. When something happened here, a burning bush happened that doesn't usually happen. And he had to turn aside. You don't find it as strongly. It's that the word in, in Hebrew is sur. It's a strong word that you're usually going one direction, doing one series of things in your life. And intentionally, you turn aside and make space in your life for something else. And I think that is absolutely essential to us deepening our walk with God. And it's not just beginning it. It's for you and me knowing more about God than we know now. Those times when you come to church and suddenly you just, God is getting hold of your heart. Have you had that happen here? I pray so. And, but we've got to stop for a moment and say, Lord, what would you have me to learn? The burning bush was one of those. It just was so different from what he normally experienced. And I, I pray that we will have burning bushes in our lives, but also that we will turn aside and make space to make sure we spend some time with God. What is a burning bush? A burning bush can be anything that contradicts your normal view of, of this world. That there's absolutely something more. For, for Moses, it was this miracle of a bush that didn't burn up. But we think, well, I believe this, therefore that can't happen. And then that happens. So we have to come back and reevaluate what we believe. What kind of things are burning bushes? I, I listed a number of things. I'll just tell you about it again to think about whether these happen. It could be a miracle. But beyond that, sometimes it's a person God sends into your life. I call it a paradigm-breaking person. Somebody who falls out of the ordinary, and then you begin to realize this is a follower of Jesus. And when you ask what's different about you, that person only says, well, I follow Jesus. Wait a minute. And I think I told you that university students often say that their first step toward God is that God brought somebody into their lives who was simply different from anybody else they'd ever met. Somebody who accepted them, somebody who forgave them. And when they said, what's changed you? They said, well, it's my relationship to Jesus. And often they would say, you mean, I thought of 
church people as condemning and unforgiving. And, 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 and they say, well, that's not what a follower of Jesus is. Because look what he did. That paradigm-breaking person that makes you say, there has to be something more. What I see there, I have to experience. Do you know what I mean? Uh, second is the haunting questions. Those questions that sometimes just eat at us. Sometimes it's at a, at a memorial service or a funeral service. There's that corpse there. Looks nicely embalmed. Where is that person now? Well, sometimes we have to ask, is there more to those haunting questions? Do you know what I mean by that? You've got to stop for a while. Don't just ignore it and rush off and say, I'm going to go watch the football game. But you have to stop for a while and see what he might have to say. Third, sometimes it's, believe it or not, unmanageable trouble. This is the one I never want to ask God to send me, but sometimes he has to to get my attention. Uh, so you show up in Southern California, you've always been successful, you're going to be the most famous actor in the world, you're going to be the next whatever, Brad Pitt, whatever, and um, then you get here and it doesn't work. And you don't even know how you're going to pay your next bill. And suddenly you thought every, you, life was always under your control and now you know you can't control it. it. It's a burning bush. You have to stop and say, is there someone else here that's trying to get my attention? Or I think the, the one that I've, in my life I've heard most people mention is what I call an unquenchable emptiness. This sense that you've done so many things, but there's something missing. There's just something missing. It may be the most powerful burning bush at all. Has God ever come to you in any of those ways? I'm telling you what you have to do is stop and make space. Now I'll go back to those Christian college students. I was probing with them this matter of, uh, in your church are you experiencing opportunities to deepen your personal relationship with God? And then, then uh, one of them said, you know, even though we talk about wanting deeper, richer, personal relationships, I have to admit that uh, we don't have many deep and personal relationships now because we're too busy. And in fact, she, who's the president of the student body, had forced everybody else around the table to turn off their cell phones. She said, we, we are learning that when we have these uh, cell phones in our hands, we may be with somebody else and never talk with any of the people we're with. Carrying on conversations <laughs> by cell phone or four or five Facebook conversations. So we have many shallow surface relationships, none of them going deeper. I don't want to be critical. I am just telling you that there are times when God breaks in, but we've got to make space if the relationship is going to deepen. And Moses did. Okay, second. I see, I think there is a need for us to take a first step. And I see it in verses 4 and 5. That Moses went up and he did more than just investigate or examine that burning bush. Um, a voice spoke out of it. You know how it is. We can analyze something and then still hold it at arm's length. Do you know what I mean? Any of us who are physicists or engineers, I mean, you know we can analyze something, right? And still uh, hold it at arm's length, just as objective and intellectual exercise. Moses didn't do that. So the, so the voice in the burning bush said, Moses, Moses. And when in Hebrew the name is doubled, it means that person knows you. Moses, I know you. Uh, so God broke into his life. And the thing I see here is Moses opened up his life ever so slightly to a relationship to God. Here am I. It's a Hebrew idiom for I am ready to serve. 
So God had broken into his life or this voice had broken into his life and instead of him resisting it or running from it or just analyzing it, he opened up and took the first step toward a relationship. And that, from that point on, it would grow ever, ever deeper. It would grow ever deeper. Um, so I think that that is an absolute necessary step for us. So you come to church and it happens over and over again in the, in the Bible too. I, I was thinking of Zacchaeus. He wanted to analyze Jesus from afar. Do you remember? So in, there in Jericho, he climbs up the tree. Just, I'm just watching. And Jesus comes right to the spot where the tree is. And he looks up and he says his name, Zacchaeus. I can just imagine Zacchaeus saying, Psst, Jesus, move on. I've just come to meet you today. And basically Jesus saying, no, 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 no. You haven't come to meet me. I have come here to meet you. I mean, what do you do then? Zacchaeus took that first step. He came down the tree and then Jesus went over to his house and a relationship began that changed his life. And the same thing happened with Moses. So what do you do when you come to church and, and you become so aware of the fact that God knows you? Sometimes you feel like running away, don't you? There are parts of us we don't want to change. Uh, sometimes we want to slam the Bible shut. We say, I'm never going back to that church again. Or, um, I'm, I'm never going to meet with that Christian friend again. They always bring up this troubling stuff. But you know what's going to happen from that point on if you do that? God already knows you, and you're going to feel like deep inside you're running from God. And do you know why? Don't you know? Because you are. You've been made for Him. He wants to come into your life and heal you. And so Moses did. He opened the door by taking the, here am I, here am I. And then the relationship goes to what he knew about God. I am holy, really kicks in. Take off those sandals. I am a holy God, ready to do something through you. So uh, there is the uh, necessity of making space. There's that first step that we need to take. Third, there is the need for us to become more vulnerable than we are. The need of vulnerability. If you look at verses 11 and following, the first of many attempts that Moses would make kicks in. He, he basically will, will say, tell God why he's not the one to do this job. <laughs> Who am I to rescue uh, the, the people of Israel from Egypt, he would say. I'm too old. I've been out here in the wilderness. I'm just the Who am I to do this? Now, Bible scholars have debated about what's going on here. Some people say he's just being humble. And that may be true. Some are saying he's just being stubborn. He wants to run his own life. And that may be true. But I think something more is going on. So you're with me, right? I want you to hear this. I learned something about this text from an African student that I will never forget. Uh, as we were talking about this text, he said to me then, President Waybright, he said, um, you have to remember that ancient Israel was a culture like my culture, not so much like yours. It was a shame-based culture. He said, in, in my culture, a shame-based culture, the ultimate humiliating thing is to lose face. You do something that makes you lose face with your family or community, you might as well just leave. That's what he said is going on here. You must see it. And I began looking at it. And he began walking me through with it. And I, I, it, it's what's happened here. Moses had had this great education. He was the hero of great promise. And then he'd done, he was going to be a hero. And it hadn't worked. He'd lost face with his own people. They mocked him. 
He lost face with his Egyptian family. He was a rebel. So what you have happening at the end of chapter 2 of Exodus is he's scooting off in shame and humility, feeling absolutely unworthy ever to do anything again. Pastor Carol Kenyon pointed me to a very insightful TED Talk. I don't know if you ever see those. A TED Talk in which a researcher storyteller, that's what she calls herself, named Brene Brown, had a talk called The Power of Vulnerability. I wanted to show it at all, but it's over 20 minutes and you wouldn't stay. So what, what Brown said is that for us to have, as human beings, deep relationships, I mean, open, honest, deep relationships, real connection to happen, we have to be willing to open up what's inside of our lives. It won't be an honest relationship unless we open up what's inside of our lives and let others see what's there. When we feel deep shame about something, our natural tendency is to want to keep it hidden. Doesn't this ring true to you? Aren't there things about our thoughts and lives and actions that we try to keep hidden from everyone around us? But when that happens, it means that we can't really have deep relationships with anyone because they'll never know us. We have something about us that we don't make known. We feel like if they knew it, we wouldn't be worthy of a relationship with him. That's what's happening with Moses. He was filled with shame. It's just like Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. They'd walked away from God. What do we see in Genesis 3? They're hiding, trying to cover themselves with fig leaves because they are ashamed, not worthy of belonging, not worthy of being used. So if we're going to actually enter into a deep relationship of knowing God, we have to be vulnerable enough to open up what we've been trying to hide. That's what vulnerability means. But, but it, it, there's fear in that, isn't there? That if I open this up and say, this is what I've done, this is who I am, that will be rejected by that person. And he begins to realize God knows everything about him. And God is still ready to use him. I am. I am, he says. I am the one who is there and I am the one who is now. And I will be with you and I have called you. The acceptance, the grace of God to allow us to be the persons that we are. Not to try to pretend that we're more than we are. And then to have God take us and use us. Those two powerful questions. Who am I? Don't you know, I can't go to the Israelites. I lost face with them. I can't go to the Egyptians. Who am I? I can't do this. But who are you? Who am I? Who are you? And God says, I am the God that your parents told you about. I am the God of Abraham. Remember how he failed me and yet I used him anyway? I am the God of Jacob. Remember how he was a liar and deceiver? Do you know that story? I knew that, yet I forgave him and have used him. And Moses, I am your God. Ready to wipe clean the past. Ready to start again with you. It's the power of vulnerability that I don't know any place else other than this word that gives us the opportunity to open up our hearts and bring it to the God who is holy and to have him say, I have done something for you. And we know it better than Moses could have known it. I came. I lived the life you haven't lived. And was willing to die the death you should have to. But now you don't have to. Because in Christ we find forgiveness, acceptance, and usefulness again. The power of vulnerability. Do you see that? And then finally, 
I call it the act of faith that begins a beautiful relationship. Moses would continue to have doubts. He was human, just as human as we are. But he did obey God. You know that, right? He went back to Egypt and they were set free and the people of God were preserved. It looks like they may not because they never wanted to leave Egypt. They eventually would have been just assimilated in. There wouldn't have been a distinctive people. You know what happened. He obeyed God. And this matter of him knowing God started with an act of faith. A faith that says, here's my life. Here's my past. Here's my future. He would walk with him in obedience and have an ever-deepening relationship with God. Now, don't you think Moses probably thought when he moved from this... um, knowing about to knowing that he was quite convinced that the God who is to be known couldn't be the God that my mother told me about. After all, he'd been 40 years uh, in the Egyptian hierarchy hearing about all of their gods. And then the next 40 years, he had been out in the desert with all the gods of the wilderness people. Well, yeah, he knew something about Jehovah, this God of my people, But that hadn't really worked for his parents, had it? They were in slavery. And one time he tried to help him out, and that hadn't worked either. So I would imagine that he thought the one place where I'll never find God will be in the God of my fathers. The God that we now know, the God of this Bible. But God would say, that's who I am. You know what it's like? Uh, There is a famous legend It's called the legend of the white horse. It's found in Asian cultures. It's found mostly in European cultures. It's told in many forms. But it it kind of reminded me of this. The iteration of this story that I really like is of a young man who had grown up in a little hillside village and he had become absolutely bored with his family and with that village and with all their values. And he said, this is no place to find a life. So he stole everything that he could from his parents and took off. Because in the legend of the white horse, the legend was this, that if you can find that village, that place, where it is a silhouette of a white horse around it, that will be the place where you find life. So he went out searching for his life somewhere else, going here and there, spending all the money that he had, losing his health, losing his money, losing his hope, Until eventually he felt like there was nothing he could do. Exhausted and sick. He finds his way the miles and miles and ways back home. He comes to the top of a hill. And across the valley he could see his own hometown. Seeing it from that perspective as he had never seen it before when he was so close to it. He was shocked with what he saw. Was the silhouette of a white horse. And at its heart was his village. The life that he was looking for was to be found where he never expected it to be found. And to those students at that Christian college, I said this personal relationship with God that you long for, that you've been made for, that you long to deepen, it is found here. In that message of Jesus And the God that he makes known, the God of this Bible, the God for whom you and I were made, and one who tells us, make space to be with me, gather with my people and worship, open up your heart and life to me, every part of it, I will receive it, take that first step of faith, and you will 
live. So my sermon at last comes to a close. Waiting for my last point here. There it is. There is a question that Moses had to wrestle with that I dare not let any of us evade coming to the church today. I have to bring up this question again and again from this pulpit. Here it is. Have you ever come to your burning bush? Have you had a personal encounter with God? I want to tell you that God knows you. This personal relationship with God is not just for the Moses types. Amen? God knows your name. Moses, Moses, put your name there. He says, I love you. I know everything in your mind and in your heart. And I am ready to give myself to you and to make your life useful again. Because I came for that very reason. What keeps us distant from God is our sin. But he's dealt with that. He's ready to forgive you and to begin a walk with you. It's not just the heroic types who can have a burnished bush experience and learn to walk with God. And throughout the entire summer, and I pray that you will come, we will learn more and more about God as we learn to practice the presence of God the way that Moses did. But I'm telling you, You can, and I pray will, meet him in this place and at this time to his glory. Amen. Amen.